Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome here. And those of you online watching, we welcome you as well. Thank you, team, for, for leading us. Thank you for all the servants that contributed and participated this morning. And remember, when you pick your kids up, to be thankful to those that have looked after them downstairs and invested in their lives and shared the great story of Christmas. And that's what we're all about. You notice, maybe you noticed, I hope you noticed, our picnic shelter is now a manger scene. I don't know if you saw that as you drove in, this huge manger. It's awesome. And a group of men and one girl yesterday, we built it together. And then we'll be adding some straw and some animals and showing the Christmas story on the 23rd. So we hope, if we don't have enough people sign up, we'll be suddenly calling through the directory saying, hey, we need Mary, we need Joseph, we need some angels. We'll be calling you out and inviting you to participate with us. But uh, we're excited to share the story of, of Christmas with our community uh, so that was just like a, kind of a nice to see some visual reality of what's what's coming, right? So uh, that's coming down. Next service, we're going to have a baby dedication for a little Grace, uh, Noemi and David's little girl. So just so you know, maybe you want to watch. We're going to try to keep. We're going to try to stream that one as well. And so, and and I'm sharing the dedication responsibilities with Pastor Hector from uh, Ecuador. So he'd be also giving a, a blessing for his little grandbaby. So it's it's going to be a neat dedication. I've never done that before. So. But Christmas is a story of a baby, so it's fun to be able to have a baby in December and bring that into our service. That'll be the second service. As you can tell, at the end, we're going to end with communion. And so you watching online might want to go and get some bread and and a juice box or something and just be prepared to participate with us as we celebrate communion at the end of this service. So as we come to God's Word, would you pray with me as we just seek to focus our hearts and our heads and our hands on on what Jesus and, and what John, the gospel is teaching us about Jesus this morning. And so let's come and let's pray together. Lord, we gather in your name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior here at New Life Community Church. In this room and and in various rooms online as they watch with us, we, we gather and pray that our hearts and minds could now focus on our Savior together. Help us to just discover the mystery of Jesus in a fresh way this morning as we look at your word. Holy Spirit, speak into our lives and guide us to the truth and to the wonder and the mystery of of Christ and of Christmas, Lord. May this not be a boring story and a familiar story, but may it just become new to us and fresh to us this morning as we look at your word together. And so we commit this time, Lord, whatever stress, pressure, difficulties that we have encountered this past week and this month and maybe this past year, we just lay those at your feet and just come and and, and are are taking your yoke upon ourselves that we might just discover refreshment and rest in you this morning. And so guide us into that direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know for a lot of families, one of the Christmas traditions is the, the Christmas puzzle. Any, anyone here have the Christmas puzzle? And, and no, none of you guys? Come on, you know, yeah. You know, so, so some families, or maybe, so maybe uh, we're, we're a small minority, but you set up a little card table or the end of the dining room table, and you get a, a puzzle out, and you spread it out there, and, and as you're on the Christmas holiday, everyone passes by and, and lingers and tries to find a piece or two, shoves it in there, and then moves on with their activities. It's just kind of like the, the ongoing activity of the family, the, the Christmas puzzle. But the worst thing is, when you get to the end of the puzzle, and it's all together, but there is a piece missing. 
oh, it happened downstairs to Elisa. She, she had some puzzles there and the kids were making them. They're like, Mrs. Elisa, they're missing a piece. And they're just, oh, you know, they're angry because they've got everything and there's one piece missing. And so that, that puzzle went missing after, after, after that day because it's, it's no use having a puzzle where there's a missing piece. John wants you to know that there is a critical piece to the puzzle, which is the mystery of Jesus. And that's what we find in John 1 verse 14. And nothing about Christmas or about Jesus will make any sense unless you have this piece. John's like, this is essential. This is a critical piece of the puzzle which unlocks the mystery, which is Jesus. And that puzzle starts with, and that piece is found in John 1, verse 14. Let's read that. I'm going to read it for you. It says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's variously translated by different translations, but that's the general idea. And I want to walk through this piece of the puzzle because in this one little verse, John's like, let me give you the, the critical piece that ties everything else together. And, and of course, so we're going to just walk through it phrase by phrase. I'm going to show you some pictures. We're going to kind of, I want you to just discover Jesus afresh this Christmas. This has been really, I've been working on this for two weeks, kind of off and on because we've been doing other stuff too. But I had Frank preaching last week, so it was, I enabled a little extra time. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes as a pastor, when you, I'm on my 27th Christmas, it gets like you're like, oh, now Christmas, what am I going to do this Christmas? Oh, Luke again. I guess I'll do Matthew. I guess I'll, you know. But as I've been digging into this, it, it's, it's brought Christmas to a new light in my own heart. And I hope it does for you as well. Number one, the word became flesh. Um, the word became flesh. When he talks about the word, he's referring to chapter one, verse one here, where it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and nothing existed that wasn't created by him. I mean, he is the, the self-existent creator, eternal God who was there before anything happened, anything started. He is different from God though, because he is God and yet he was with God. And so we, we're, John's introducing us to this great mystery that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God like the Father is God, like the Holy Spirit is God, deep, mysterious truths. But then in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh. Constable says, this is the most concise statement of incarnation in the Bible. Incarnation, an English construct word from Latin that has come to mean God incorporated into flesh. It's, it's a fancy theological word, but, but basically this is what John's saying. The word became flesh. The incarnation. Jesus assumed and became human body. I have a picture here. I mean, this is Jesus. He had a brain. He had a nervous system. He had an endocrinal system. He had a respiratory system, a digestive system. He had a skeletal system. He had epidermis like you and me. The word became flesh. And he means it in every sense that you are human. He himself was human. The word never ceased to be the word. He simply, while he was the word, became flesh at the same time. And for 
the hundreds of years of church history following the resurrection of Jesus. There was just debates and discussions about the nuances, and, and, and people went astray, and they had to kind of come back together, do councils, and, you know, 325 and 480, Chalcedon, and, and Nicaea, and they're, they're like, okay, let's, let's explain the nature of Christ. But John says, he was a human being just like you and me. The word became flesh. He was part of our world. We'll get that in the next place, but it's, um, it's important to understand this. He never ceased to be God, but at the same time, he became human. Just like, for instance, uh, you know, you, you, you become a husband, but it doesn't, you don't cease to be what you were before. You just, you add something else. You become a father. You become a nurse. You become a welder. You become a farmer. Whatever it is, you, you can add things to your identity. And, and here Jesus, who was the eternal word of God, who created all things, who was with the Father, who was God, who was with God, now becomes flesh like you and me. I mean, it just, it stretches your brain when you stop and think about it. The eternal Son of God, glorious in heaven, takes on this form. He can taste, he can smell, he can feel. He gets tired and he gets hungry. He has to go to the bathroom. He has every reality that we have. He became flesh. Well, Schert has said, and he says, the confession of a genuine incarnation is one of the basic theological affirmations of Christianity. I mean, you don't have Christianity if the word did not become flesh. In one short, shattering expression, John unveils the great idea at the heart of Christianity, the next quote says, that the very word of God took flesh for our salvation. The very word of God took flesh for our salvation. In the first century, John's writing this gospel. John saw Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. He had closely intimated with Jesus. There was this group called the Docetists. They, they believed that Jesus actually wasn't human. He, he only appeared to be human. human. He, you saw him. He was like a phantom existence, sort of this ghosty figure. But he looked human, but he wasn't really human. And, and John is writing to, as, a, as, as an apologetic against that one, one of those ideas. There's others too. But he's like, basically, no, no. The word became literally flesh and blood like you and me. Circulatory system, yes. Synapses ran up and down from his brain to his, to his fingers, to his feet, to his knees, to his hips. I mean, he, he, he experienced and lived life like you and I. He wasn't a phantom. He really was human. The last quote I have here is, is, is a little bit longer one, but just bear with me. It says, this, this statement is one of the most significant and memorable ever penned. Its implications are limitless. It has provided the church over the centuries a key, with a key to understanding the mystery of Christ. It represents the heart and the climax of the gospel. The word became flesh. In order for Jesus to be a mediator, which is what the Bible says that he is, in order for him to, 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 to be that, that, that bridge between humanity and and God, he needed to assume this human figure, this human nature. Now, what he didn't assume is the sinful nature, but he became human without sin. Because as human, he could, now be, he could now die because he was human. He was able to experience death, and, and he would die on the cross for us. 
He was able to identify with our struggles, our infirmities, our, our pains, our trials. And he provides an example for us because he lived that perfect human life. The word became flesh. If you don't get that peace, nothing in Christmas makes sense. Like, why do we have a manger? Why do we? Because the manger leads to the cross. God had to come down here to help us out. And what was remarkable as, as I meditated and thought and studied this is the reality that he now is forever this way. He can't go back to that preexistent eternal state of glory with the Father. He's now forever the God-man. And the only reason he did this was one, to glorify the Father, but two, is for us. And we'll get to that later at the end of the service. He didn't have to. He didn't need to, except that it was a huge benefit for us. The Father loved us so much. The Word became flesh. you got to understand, maybe you've watched that show, Undercover Boss, right? Where, where the boss, you know, takes on one of the menial jobs within their organization, he or she, you know, and it's funny because usually they're awful at it, right? There's, there's the, you know, the executive trying to make French fries or, or you know, sweep floors, and the, and the people working with them are like, who is this doofus they hired? You know, they can't even do the job, and it's, it's the big boss, right, you know? God, the son, the big boss, took on flesh, put on the apron, the uniform, the role of humanity and, and, and the identity with humans, and, and he became like us. Back in the, in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, Alanis Morissette sang that song, what if God were one of us? And he was one of us. I mean, her song is a bit, you know, is, is, is not very respectful. It has some weird thing. But, but, but the question is, like, what if he were one? He was one. He is one of us. That's what John tells you. The word became flesh. Secondly, it says that, that he dwelt among us. Or he, in, in the translation we read, he, he, you know, he dwelt among us. Or that could be translated, he tabernacled among us. He, he pitched his tent in among our tents. That would be the first century understanding, right? We're, we're all on this journey together. It's, it's temporary. We kind of have our own tent. And Jesus came in and put his tent right in the middle of our tents. He dwelt among us. This has a deep Old Testament connotation. I have a picture here. In the Old Testament, you know, God moved the people from Egypt to Israel and there was a tent. It was called the tabernacle, and it was set up. And that tabernacle was a, was a place where people worshiped God, where you came to God. You, you came into that tent yard. You sacrificed an animal. Uh, blood was poured out as atonement for your sin, and then you could approach God. But in that inner room, in the back of that tent, was the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. And this, this thing called the Shekinah glory would shine in there, and, and that pillar of cloud re represented God's presence with them. But he was far off. Not anyone could just wander to the tent and say, hey, God, how's it going? No, no, no. That was a very sacred, holy, guarded place. He tabernacled among us. All the Israelites knew God was with them, but he was far off. Moses went up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. Everyone else is afraid to go up there. It's scary up there. But then John says, Jesus became flesh and pitched his tent right next to mine. No longer far off and, and remote. He's now close and, 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 and right beside me. He's right 
there, I don't know if you read a lot of the leadership books in the 90s, he talked about this MBWA, management by walking around. And, and the idea was, okay, managers, get out of your office and get down where the people are. Because you can't lead if you're just always up high in the sky. You need to get down and, and see what's going on on the ground. Some of you understand that because people in Calgary sometimes call you and tell you what to do. Someone who's got a university degree and, and, and letters behind their name, but they've never been on the job site where you're working and they've never looked at that valve or seen how that thing operates, but they're telling you, you got to do this. You're like, well, maybe you should come up here and see how it works before you tell me how, how to do it. Jesus came down and dwelt among us. He entered our world. He understands what life is like in this world. He is not a God who is distant and hard to, to see, kind of in the smoke and the fog. He is a God that's close and personal. He dwelt among us. You could bump into his tent just like he can bump into yours. Jesus lived here with us. I don't know if you've ever been on a missions trip, you know. I mean, I've gone on a few. I've led a few. And sometimes, you know, you wonder, why, why are we doing this? We had a group of guys that would go to El Salvador. And there's some in this area that do that too. And, and you go and build houses in El Salvador, right? And they're basically tin sheds. And, but they're huge. They're, they're so nice compared to what the people had before. But, but, but the reality is, I mean, it would be way easier just to pay them to build their own houses. But there's something about... North Americans, Canadians traveling down there, white, you know, glaring skin in the midst of, you know, the, the lovely brown people there, you know, and, and they're, you know, it's so different, you know, they're, they're big, they're gangly, they're not as smooth, you know, they can't play soccer, you know, all these things. But there they are. What is it? Because they're actually, you are taking an interest in their life. I took a group of guys to, to Russia. There were guys in Russia that could have done the work we did, but it was just something about the fact that couple Canadian guys would show up and begin to work and work alongside of Russian brothers and it was just us showing you yeah, we, we know you're there we, 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 we're glad you're there we're, we're here to encourage you but, but we're encouraged as we go and God communicates his deep care and concern for us by entering into our world he dwelt among us just imagine what that would have been like think of the worst place you've ever seen the grossest thing you've ever experienced, the most vile, grotesque thing that you've ever encountered. My friend who grew up on a dairy farm, we were playing at his dairy farm one day, and we were out behind one of the barns, and there was this huge cylinder there, metal cylinder, and he, there were stairs going up this cylinder, and I said, Kevin, what's, what's this? And he said, well, come on up and see, and we got up, and, and there was this kind of this big thing that kind of stirred in this cylinder and inside this cylinder was all the manure from the barn the dairy barn and it was just cooking it was turning into liquid manure because what they would do is they'd put that in the honey wagon and they would they would run on the fields and the corn would grow 10 feet tall and but it was the most grossest vile thing I've ever seen can you imagine leaving the holiest most purest place even imaginable heaven and coming to this earth, that is what it felt like, I imagine. He leaves the clean, the place where, where, where God is glorified and worshipped continually. No sin.